Welcome to the Lincoln Road Chapel Podcast. We're a church here in Waterloo that exists to become a thriving community of Christ followers. Our mission is to love God, make disciples, and serve our neighborhood, city, and the world. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us in person or online. For more information about Sunday morning worship, our ministries, or how to connect in community, visit our website at lrc.church. Well, thanks to our worship team for uh, giving us the words to say. As our junior highs are making their way to their class, I want to extend a welcome to you again this morning. If you've come in since I was last up here, it's good to have you with us, and uh, it's good to be together. It's good to be together to lift our voices in praise, to reflect, and to turn to the scriptures and allow uh, God's word to continue to guide and direct us. And so we're in this series right now at Lincoln Road Chapel. I don't know if this is your first week here. You're maybe three weeks behind now, Uh, but we're looking through the first half of the book of Acts, and this is a series that we're calling... Uh, So what next? And the whole idea being that post-resurrection, the world is a completely different place. And so what does it look like to be the the people who belong to Jesus in light of his resurrection? And the book of Acts is this beautiful picture of how God works powerfully through the first followers of Jesus, but it's also an invitation to each of us that we would step into that same story and see the same kinds of things happening around us. And so uh, the book of Acts, just in case you are new and missed a couple of the weeks there, the book of Acts opens up the resurrected Jesus is meeting with his first followers, his disciples, and he says to them, I'm commissioning you, I'm sending you to bear witness of who I am in the wider world, that you bear testimony, that the things that you've experienced in me, you'd proclaim to the people around you Then we come to the story of Pentecost, and Pentecost is really the story that kind of catapults this movement uh, moving forward. And so the Father sends his Holy Spirit upon the apostles. And what that means is that we enter into an age or a time where the Spirit of Jesus resides within us resides within those who belong to him, that it would, he would guide us, that he would direct us, that he would empower us, that we would live out the mission of God in the world around us. And this is critical. This is like the most critical part of the book of Acts because it was believed that the place that God's presence resided was only in the temple, that this was a specific location that was special, that was sacred, and that's where God was. It was the place where heaven and earth overlapped, that they kind of bled together, as it were. With the coming of Pentecost, everything changes. It is now that God's presence resides within us, wherever we happen to be, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're at school, where we're at play, that following the resurrection of Jesus, those that belong to him are filled with the Spirit. They now live, and this is the term I'm going to come back to again and again. I don't, I'm crediting N.T. Wright with this. I don't know if he came up with it, but you're going to hear me say this whole series, the idea that we become heaven and earth people. I'm going to keep saying it this entire series so that three months from now, when we're talking about being followers of Jesus, this is actually embedded in us as an idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we would be people who um, bring heaven to earth, that we'd be people in which um, our lives in some way overlap heaven and earth, that, that God's space and our space, and we come back again and again to that great line in the prayer of Jesus, you know it, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the goal right there. 
That's the goal of our lives as Christians. That's what it means that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God is breaking into the world around us, first in our lives, but then outward flowing from us. And so as we work through the book of Acts, as we're going to do for a number of weeks yet, we're going to see characters like Peter and John today. There's going to be days that we see maybe Paul and Barnabas or or other characters, but, but I want you to realize that the central character in all of these narratives is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who's come to reside among the people of God. He is the one who's at work in the world both then and now. And he is calling those who are far away close to God. He's taking those who have given their lives to Jesus and forming them to be more like him for the sake of others. And so if that actually is the case, how would we know? How would we know that we are living lives in which the Spirit is working through us? Is it simply evidenced by the fact that we gather together on a Sunday morning, we sing some songs, we maybe put some money in an offering box? Is it that we do some other kind of semi-religious activities? We gather in small groups and we study the Bible or we read the Bible on our own or maybe because we say a prayer right before we eat food. And I don't want to discount these practices. Remember what we talked about last week. Right? The rhythms or the patterns of your life are forming you. They declare something about who you are and what you value. Disciplines and practices are forming us. But if the same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, is alive in me, The more that we lean into his power and leading, the more that we allow him to guide and direct us to be the people God made us to be, would there be any markers, any expressions in the world around us that would evidence that God is alive and that he is at work? I think our text this morning is going to provide us with a little bit of a framework. There's a lot of places we could go to. We could talk about life in the Spirit in Galatians. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit right? And that gets lived out in who we are. But here in our text this morning, we see something very specific that's very kind of tangible. And so if you have a Bible, we're still in the book of Acts. Uh, We're in chapter 3. And actually, today we're looking at chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is a massive amount of text this morning. And uh, we're really only going to kind of deep dive the beginning of chapter 3. And then I'm going to kind of cherry pick. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to cherry pick some verses following that, uh, that kind of Uh, flow out of our story this morning. But this is what Luke writes in Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. He says this, One day, uh, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. 
And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the story of a man whose life has been characterized by brokenness. The text tells us that he was born unable to walk. This isn't a man that had a bike accident and broke a leg and was waiting for it to heal. This is a man who had never been able to stand. And in the first century, what this meant was that his means of survival, the way that he would survive, was that he had to rely on the charity and the mercy of others. And so every day, friends or family or neighbors, somebody who cared about him or was close to him, they would carry him and they would set him up outside the temple at a particular gate, the gate called Beautiful. And there he would sit and he would beg for money. Every day. He was a a fixture there. It was a location that had heavy foot traffic on top of which, you know, people are coming and going from the temple. And so maybe their thoughts and their emotions are attuned to God attuned uh, to God's commandments on their life, particularly that they were to be people who cared for the vulnerable. Later on, near the, the bottom of the text, not where we read today, we're told the man was over 40 years old. This had been a long, long go for him. This was a struggle, to say the least. And this is just my imagination going right now, but I wonder how many times going up to the temple did Jesus walk past him and see him sitting there and knowing your day is coming? Your day is coming when you would be set free and made whole. I'm not really sure how long after Pentecost this takes place. Luke simply tells us it's one day, right? One day, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, and they encounter this man as he's setting up. Somebody's brought him. They're setting him up. They're making their way to the temple, and he sees them. And he calls out to them and asks them for money. And Peter, it says, looks straight at him. So does John. And then Luke says that Peter tells him to look directly back at them. The, word, the Greek word there is the word atensis. It's the word we get our word attention from. And I'm not sure what's going on here, if it's just that it's busy and this man is calling out to as many people as possible, you know, trying to like take advantage of the moment. Maybe this is Peter's way of saying, hey, don't, don't be distracted. You're distracted by a lot of other stuff, but pay attention right here because the thing that you need is right here. But the man does. He gives him and John undivided attention, assuming, of course, he's going to get something, right? And so the very first words out of Peter's mouth probably weren't his favorite. I don't have any money. Silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. Now, maybe this is why Peter wanted his attention, because he knew as soon as I say I don't have any money, this guy's going to move on. And he's like, no, no, I want you to stay paying attention, because what I do have, I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And this is a moment of faith here. He reaches down, he takes the man by his right hand, and he pulls him to his feet. And the man stands there. He's able to run and to jump, his strength back in his like He's praising God. He is healed. He's made whole. I think sometimes we read a narrative like this and we move on from it, right? Because it's so overt. It's so miraculous. 
What are we going to do with that? And while we need to be careful not to dismiss the fact that God still can and still does deal in the miraculous, he is still God, at its heart in this story, I think we're being invited to consider something about what it means to be living in the power of the Spirit and the impact that it has on the world in which we live. See, when we live as individuals or as a community of heaven and earth people, there it is again, get used to it, the overlapping where God's will is on earth as it is in heaven, one of the byproducts, one of the byproducts will be we will see pockets of things that are broken being made whole, being made new. Again, in this particular story, it's overt, it's miraculous, but it's still a picture of what happens when heaven, when God's space invades earth, our space. And in some ways, I think this almost should be intuitive to us, right, as those who are indwelt by God's spirit, as those who are followers of Jesus, because is this not how you would characterize the ministry of Jesus himself? Like, open up the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see time and time and time again, Jesus is confronted by brokenness of all kinds, and he leaves in his wake people who have been made whole, people who are new, whether that's the social brokenness in the lives of tax collectors, whether that's moral brokenness by people who have made sinful choices, Spiritual brokenness highlighted so many times by the power of darkness in people's lives. Physical brokenness of people suffering from ailments like this man. The list goes on and on and on. And so without eliminating the fact, in fact, using it as the, the, jumping, the, the jumping off point, that the cross is the very place where our sins are forgiven, we'll never deny that, maybe potentially we're being invited to open our eyes to something larger as well. That the reality is that God's plan has always been to set all things right. To take brokenness of every kind in our world as it's entered into his good creation and to reconcile it, to restore it, to renew it, to redeem it for his glory and for his purpose. Have you ever considered this is in part why the gospel is good news? Because it announces that Jesus is the true king over everything and that he's paying attention and that his intention is that he would set all things right and make them whole again. It begins with the forgiveness of sins, but it gets lived out in the world around us. This again, if this is the end game of what God is doing in Jesus, that he would defeat death, that he would defeat sin and darkness and restoring it to life, light, and shalom through the grace and power using heaven and earth people. We ought to be able to look around and see pockets of wholeness in the brokenness around us. The Spirit of God working in and through us will always bring about wholeness, life, and shalom in our lives, in the lives of others, and also in God's good creation, even as it pounds down rain. You guys can't hear it online, but it's getting loud in here. I'm like, do I have to start yelling now? That's not my, that's really not my sweet spot. Okay, don't miss this in the text this morning. But the place that God wants to do that, 
right where you are. The place that God wants to bring wholeness in broken places is right where you are. Look at how the chapter opens. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Where does God show up to work in their lives? In their ordinary life, everyday moments. I mean, there's lots that we could say about this, this, the fact that they're still living as devout Jews, that they're living out the practices of the Jewish people, they're going to the temple, they're going to pray, um, they're living out their faith, and, and certainly all this has been reframed by what they know and experience in Jesus. But don't miss the point that for Peter and John, this is just a regular day. They're just living their regular lives. We just, we celebrated, we saw the video, right? We had people stand up. We just had these folks from Ecuador return, right? Where uh, no doubt lots of good stories. We're gonna gather together and hear the ways that God was working on another part of the world, right? That he shows up in their obedience to go somewhere else. But, but let's be careful that we don't start thinking that that's the only place that God wants to work. That this is what's required for God to show up. See, God's intention is that he would work in and through your ordinary, everyday life in the very place that he's placed you. He doesn't just work in special places and special locations. In fact, that's the point of Pentecost, that you are now temple people. You are little temples of God running around the earth, people who look and reflect Jesus And by virtue of Christ's redemptive work in you, you, in fact, are the special place. You are the special location where God intends to work out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And so very simply, we're being invited to step into the broken places and spaces around us, that we would allow God's spirit to work within us to bring wholeness and hope and peace. And that might be something big and overt. Maybe it's a a, a giant act of social justice. Maybe it's partnering with an organization trying to lift people out of poverty or abuse. But just as easily, it could be something small. It could be something quiet, like befriending a neighbor who's walking through a season of grief. Somebody who is struggling with loneliness could be helping friends or family navigating relational discord, seeing some measure of reconciliation. Our world is not short on brokenness, and the plan of God is to bring shalom and wholeness and restoration. So the point is not whether the way that God wants to work through you is big or small. The point is that entering the brokenness in his strength and in his power will declare the hope that is only found in Jesus. That's what happens next in the story. If you were to keep reading down after verse 11 to the end of the chapter, you find Peter and John are now go into the temple courts, and this man follows them in. And he's really excited to be able to walk and to jump, and he's using his legs because he hasn't been able to use them for a very long time. And so people are taking notice of this guy. And remember that he's been a fixture at the Temple Gate Beautiful for almost 40 years. And so they know him by now. And like, is that not the guy who, but he's standing and he's jumping and he's kicking the air. What is happening right now? 
And so people are amazed at what they see. And this is what Peter says to them. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as though it was by our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? No, 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 no. He says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Lest you think that this has happened because of us, because we're like really good people or super religious or because of our own strength or power, let me make it clear, this man's wholeness is a result of God's grace because this is what God is in the business of doing restoring and redeeming and reconciling things to wholeness and life and peace. And then Peter launches into this giant sermon. Lots of pieces of it sound a lot like what we saw in Acts chapter 2, the announcement that Christ has been crucified, but that God worked in it in a powerful way to break the chains of sin and of death and vindicates Jesus by raising him from the dead. And so Peter says, you need to respond to this. This is the reality in which we live. And so he calls them to repent. Turn away from brokenness that leads to death and take hold of grace and forgiveness in Jesus that you may know his life and his peace. This is not simply a text about being good people who do good things. This is about being people who step into broken places and who have the faith that God is already there. And that God, through his spirit, wants to work in and through us. We don't just engage in deed, but we're invited to use our mouths and our words to bear witness by proclaiming the hope of Jesus is for all people. That we'd invite them to turn towards him and to believe by the power of his death and resurrection there is forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. This is what it means to be heaven and earth people, getting right into the mess of the world around us, maybe getting our hands just a little bit dirty, but also with our words, inviting and bringing others to Jesus. And the text continues that we would know that where we announce the name of Jesus, we will inevitably face some measure of conflict. Wouldn't it be great if we could just go and heal a bunch of people and there would never be any kind of pushback? People would just be like, you guys are the best. Chapter 4 begins with the religious leaders. It's always the religious people. Growing uncomfortable by their announcement that Christ has been raised from the dead. You can't say that. No, 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 no. You just got to pipe down that message. And so they arrest Peter and John and they bring them into for questioning. And they're brought before the Sanhedrin of the rulers, the religious teachers of the law, among who were given two names that are very interesting to me, Annas and Caiaphas, both men instrumental in the trial of Jesus himself. And they have questions. And Peter, get this, Peter likely hasn't been this close to the high priest since that time that he denied Jesus three times. And he is not letting this moment pass him by. He says, look, if we're being called to account today because of an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and you're asking how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you, and I imagine he's pointing right at Caiaphas, 
right at Annas, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you completely healed. And Luke notes that, that these religious people, like these are just regular fishermen. These are not people with master's degrees. These are not people who have high education, yet they're speaking very confidently about what they proclaim almost like they've experienced it to be true in their own lives. And here before them is a man who's undeniably been made whole. But like all systems who feel impinged upon at some point or another, the religious leaders fall back into the pattern that they had uh, carried out even with Jesus himself. They began to threaten. You need to stop or else. But you see, for Peter and John, those threats, they don't have the same sting because they follow the one who overcame the grave. And so very matter-of-factly, they say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. For the religious leaders, there's not much more they can do, so they let them go. But the point is clear. Where the kingdom of God in Jesus is announced, even in the places where it brings wholeness and peace in the lives of people, it will be resisted. It will draw some measure of conflict from the world. And as we continue over the coming weeks to walk through the book of Acts, this tension will mount. It will become much more apparent that the announcement that Christ is king And the call that people would respond by repenting and giving their lives to him, it's going to cause friction. And so we find Peter and John returning to their fellow believers, and they join in prayer where they renew their trust in who God is and what he's doing. This is what they pray. Listen to this prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a great story. What a great story. It's long and it's winding. It's very different than the stories of Jesus, though I think we see pockets of where we could see this being like a miraculous story of Jesus healing somebody. But in the Gospels, the story of Jesus are often so small and short and quick, but this is a long story. But it invites us, I think, to consider what it means to be heaven and earth people. See, for Peter and John, the Spirit of God has led them to step into broken places and to be used to bring about wholeness, not as the byproduct of some special mission, but within the context of their regular lives. And where that wholeness and where that life is brought about, they announce why it can be. They announce the truth of where it comes from, the gospel, that Christ has come, that in his death and resurrection there is forgiveness and life, and he's putting the world back together. This is not just doing good deeds for the sake of good deeds. This is partnering with God in his mission to set everything right. But of course, it meets resistance. The systems of the world, they find themselves before the very people who sent Jesus to be crucified. But here's the thing. Peter and John know that Christ is the author of life, that he is the one who has overcome the grave, and they stand firm. They will be obedient wherever God calls them, wherever they're being invited to step into. And this conviction 
drives them to the place that it ought to drive them, back to prayer. That they would recognize that Christ is king over all, that God is in fact sovereign, and invite the Spirit to embolden them, to strengthen them, that they may step out in courage and be used by him. This will be the ongoing story of Acts. This kingdom momentum building through the faithfulness and the obedience of regular people being used by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the story that you're being invited into. This is the story that you are being asked to live into, that in your everyday life, your homes, your neighborhoods, your places of vocation, your social spaces, the marketplace, the political realm, you name it, God is already there. You are being called to be a reflection of Jesus and to engage in his mission. So the question is, where are you being confronted by brokenness in our world? Where do you see it? It may be something very specific that God has brought a particular person into your life that's carrying a heavy burden, a neighbor or a, a coworker who's just carrying the heaviness of life. Maybe that's in relationships. Maybe that's in their health, physical or mental. Maybe it's related to something bigger in our region, a cause that has stirred in your heart, homelessness or poverty or adoption or helping newcomers as they come to Canada. Maybe God is stirring an even broader thing for you, that you are, have a heart for people in the world who are facing conflict or, or natural disaster. Or maybe you just feel this need to advocate for human rights, environmental issues. The truth is, is that God resides in all of those places, that God's heart has always been for his good creation. You go back to Genesis, and he makes everything. He says it's very good. He wants it to be very good again. And so for those of us who belong to Jesus, for those of us who have the Spirit of God living within us, we are being called to join in, to be a part of what he's doing in this world. And it may not be overtly miraculous. Don't turn away from the text because you've never healed a man who's been crippled from birth. It may be a little miracle, the little miracle of seeing somebody who is unseen, the little miracle of being present in their life as a voice of hope and of mercy. Opportunities like this, they exist within the realm of, of the ministry of Lincoln Road Chapel. Everything from running the CAP course, we ran it a couple weeks ago, right? Helping people find wholeness in their financial situation. Can uh, be worked out in volunteering at home base, creating space for these neighborhood kids who can come and find a place where they belong, where they're loved, where they're received, where they're pointed towards Jesus. It happens in all of our ESL classes, whether those are in person or online. It happens with those who go and make a meal at Ray of Hope. But the truth is, it's happening in our neighborhoods as well. It's happening in the places where we live, in the places where we work, as regular people, people like you and I are paying attention paying attention to what is happening around them and responding, just listening, where, Spirit, are you nudging me to go today? Maybe it's sharing life with somebody, being a listening ear, a voice of encouragement. Maybe it's a tangible help, driving somebody to a doctor's appointment, helping somebody mow their lawn. All of these outworkings of God's heart for people, a heart that is most clearly seen in Jesus, as he lays down his very life on a cross, that we might be put back together.
that we might be made whole with our creator once again. And so we are being invited to be people who speak the name of Jesus, who announce not just in deed, but in the words that we speak, the good news that Christ has come, that he is king, that all people are loved by God, and that he's offering them life and peace. But we need to go into this with eyes that are open because the systems of the world are entrenched in ways that will resist and resent the way of Jesus. Conflict comes in many forms. We are lucky, actually. In our situation, in our context, it's not that bad, but it's still a struggle. And so we need to be reminded that we do not do this in our own strength. We don't do this in our own ability, but we are to contend for our neighbors and our cities and beyond in deed and in word, but first on our knees. That we would root our trust in the fact that he is the Lord over all things. That we'd be people who invite the Spirit to strengthen us, to embolden us, to give us courage to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to engage in the brokenness of our world and to be a reflection of love and of peace. That we'd be used by him to bring hope and healing to all things all things. And so may we be people who pray that prayer, who pray a prayer that God would make us bold to step out, but we'd also pray that he would soften our hearts to the reality of our neighbors and the people around us, that we would be open, that we'd be available for what he wants to do in the lives of those that he puts before us. And then may our lives, both as individual followers of Jesus and as a a community of faith, would they be used by him to proclaim hope and life that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us of the times that we have um, shrunk the gospel, that we have um, used a lens of life that made you smaller or far off, just remind us, God, that this is your creation and that everything in it you love and your desire is to see made right and made whole. And so open our eyes to the brokenness before us. Give us the spirit to be courageous to step into it. Teach us not to be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus, knowing that where we step into these places, you are already there that you are doing something in the midst of our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and beyond. And so use us. Use us to reflect your goodness and your love and your mercy, even as we've experienced it ourselves, that many would come and discover the hope that is found in your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace in our lives and the places where we trip up and fall. We thank you for your power that goes before us, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or thoughts on this teaching, feel free to reach out because we'd love to connect. For more information about our church and all the things happening in the LRC community, you can visit our website at lrc.church. See you next time.